The thing they should know about auctioneering is, in my opinion, is know what you're bidding on and don't get caught up in the theater of the auction. You know, it's kind of like gambling in some ways. You know, you have to know how much you're willing to spend and how much you're willing to, to lose and how bad do you want it. That was James Trurry, president and owner of Cornerstone-EDU. Not only can he teach you the ways of getting what you want at an auction, but he can help you become a world-class auctioneer. After years as an auctioneer himself, James saw a critical lack of online training resources for himself and his peers, so he went into action with the mission of transforming the auctioneering industry. Today, James runs a school providing 24-7 online continuing education classes for auctioneers pursuing or renewing their license and trying to grow their business. Knowing firsthand the fierce competition within the industry, James is able to help his clients keep up with the rapidly changing marketplace in the auctioneering industry. So let's get into it and hear what he had to say. Welcome to Incredible Learning Experiences. Welcome to Incredible Learning Experiences, a show about stories from the cutting edge of learning and professional development. On today's episode, we talk with James Trury about why he launched his own online education company, the subtle nuances of the auctioneering industry, what your strategy should be going into an auction, and if your grandmother's hutch really is worth a fortune. Incredible Learning Experiences is brought to you by your friends at Proctor Free an on-demand, convenient, and cost-effective online proctoring solution for education and corporate environments. Elevate your credibility and reputation while providing convenient learning opportunities for your target audience. Learn more at proctorfree.com. And now, here's your host, Mike Murphy. I'm Mike Murphy. I'm the host of Incredible Learning Experiences podcast. We're here with James Drury today. Um, James's business is Cornerstone EDU. And James, can you tell me a little bit about your organization and the scope of your current role? Sure. I started uh, Cornerstone 10 years ago. I am an auctioneer. I've been in the auction business since 99. I've been licensed since 2000. It's a, uh, it was a second career for me. And in Illinois, where I'm located, every two years, you have to take uh, continuing education. Real estate people have to take continuing ed- education throughout the country. And auctioneers in 13 states are required to take uh, continuing education every year or every two years. In the year states, uh, it's six hours. In the two-year states like Illinois and Wisconsin, it's 12 hours. So after I obtained my license, all of a sudden I found out I have to take continuing education. Well, you know, I have hours towards a PhD and I'm wondering, what are you going to teach me? Well, what I learned is that I was going to have to drive three hours to downstate Illinois, sit in a uh, in a hotel that had lost its flag, lo- losing its flag like if it's a Holiday Inn and they lost their franchise. So the hotel had lost their flag. So it wasn't a great uh, lodging accommodation. No, it was not. It was not uh, a great experience just for the physical layout. And I'm sitting there just quietly mumbling to myself, going. I'm, this is not conducive to learning for me. I have always been out on my own. And uh, so, so I, uh, I left, uh, left that swearing a lot. And oh, the food was bad, at the restaurants too. So anyway, driving back uh, to Chicago, I kept saying, there's got to be a better way. I've taught at the college level when I was in grad school. And I said, there's just got to be a better way. So literally, my story is I contacted 
a person at the state. And I said, look, I had just obtained my license to teach continuing education for real estate people in Illinois. And I said, do I need to uh, have a license to teach continuing education for auctioneers in Illinois? And she said, no, you have to show competency. Well, you know, a product of parochial school, the nuns always said to me, you never answer a question with a question. It is impolite. And uh, I've never forgotten that. And I said, well, then I explained this to her. I said, but I have to know your definition of competency. And she goes, well, formal education. I said, I have hours towards a PhD that I will never finish. I've taught at the college level. I've been in the business now. I'm licensed, blah, blah, blah. She goes, oh, why don't you start your own school? Interesting. Was that the aha moment? That was the aha moment. And I said, well, that's not why I called, but you've opened the door and let me walk in that door. I want to see where it goes. So we, we chatted some more and I said, well, if I was going to start a school, it would have to be online. And this is like 11 years ago now. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, I said, let me investigate this. Let me see what I can do. And I will get back to you in 30 days. So 30 days later, I wrote it down on my calendar. In 30 days, I had found a company that that's how you and I met, Digital Chalk. And I had uh, a test recording up. I had written four classes. I had videos up and I called her up and I said, I have all the forms filled out. I have everything. What do I do? Put it in a FedEx box and ship it to you? She goes, you're kidding, right? I said, oh, no, I'm quite serious. I'm ready to go. So that, was this the same person that suggested that you started? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I said, okay, now what? And she said, would you come down and make a presentation to the board? And I said, sure. And so off I went and I uh, went down and went on a coat and tie and had no idea who I was going to be talking to. And um, the president of the board, after I explained how it worked, he said, uh, so let me understand this, James. So I can walk to my computer and take my CE online. I said, that's correct. And he goes, does anyone object to this? One guy objected to it. <laughs> and he just looked at him and he said, yeah, don't worry about it. And, uh, and it was, everyone said, this is great, approved, just like that. And then I said, but there's just one more thing. And they said, what's that? I said, in Illinois, we have to take a proctored exam after we take the 12 hours. And uh, I said, well, I said, uh, there's a company that I discovered. And Mike, you know who that is. And uh, that was a while ago. And um, they said, well, who's using that company here in Illinois? And I said, the University of Illinois in Champaign. And I'm not going to argue with them at all. If it's good enough for the U of I, it's good enough for me. <laughs> the president goes, approved. And so I was the first school approved with online proctor testing in Illinois for any discipline. That was a big deal. Yeah, but the woman that suggested you start the school didn't expect for you to come back to her and then didn't expect that you would come and present to the board. It was um, a perfect storm, Mike. It really was a perfect storm. So I've taken it and, uh, you know, someone said you've taken a, uh, a semi and, you know, driven it through a keyhole. And um, uh, I have competitors now, but what I believe sets me apart is the uh, quality of my production i make the videos i make the i have a digital camera behind me you can see a blue screen and uh, i've got uh, led lights uh, this microphone that i'm using is one of two professional mics that i have 
And um, so I put on a coat and tie and uh, I write, I, de I decide what I'm going to write about. And historically, the classes for auctioneers have to do with. But I want to understand. So you were actually an auctioneer. Yes. Prior to this. How does someone become an auctioneer? I, I have this vision of someone that's a really good speaker and can talk fast. But what does it even mean to be an auctioneer? Why would someone get into that? And how do they do that? My professional career up until 1999, I was in medical sales. I worked for, I was regional manager for a biotech company. I traveled all over the country and I was hired. I saw an ad that was kind of intriguing in the Chicago Tribune. And uh, they were looking for someone with hospital experience, but it was very vague in what they did. So I called up and uh, I went in and uh, it was a small auction company here in Chicago. And they had obtained a national contract with a group purchasing organization. And that allowed them, it, uh, it gave them a hunting license to go into hospitals to uh, help the hospitals uh, dispose of excess medical equipment. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so then they would bring it back to Chicago, hold a general auction. And so an auctioneer really is a marketer. The auctioneer has to create a market for whatever that product might be. So this fellow had started literally his business kind of like mine. He received a phone call from a hospital in Chicago that was closing. And they said, could you auction off the, the contents of the hospital? We're closing the hospital. And I imagine some of that equipment is expensive and still has a lot of value in a life. It's still it. Some of it does. Yes. Um, a lot of people think that uh, this equipment goes overseas. Yes, some of it does. But those uh, items tend to be non-electronic in general because of you just can't plug them in in South America or any place else in the world. But to give you an example, I, uh, I was out in Cape Cod at a hospital and they had two generators, hospital generators that they weren't using. And I said, I'll take those. I put them on a flatbed and shipped them back. And they were purchased by a physician, if I remember correctly, was in Peru. And he had a clinic. And in order to run the the uh, the electronic equipment, uh, the monitors and so forth that were running out of you know, American current, he needed the generators. So he purchased the generators so he could have the equipment. But if they're surgical items like uh, scalpels and pickups and things like that, those things go overseas quite readily. And everything sells. Everything sells from a crutch to uh, MRI. Everything sells. That's fascinating. It, it is a fascinating business. Okay. So um, that, that's helpful to understand um, how you got into this and how you started. Um, and I, I love the, the reference to driving a semi through a keyhole. What I'd like to do is talk a little bit about um, the roadmap. Wait a minute. Do you know where we are, Brian? Are we lost? I need a roadmap. Yes, we have a roadmap in place. So can you give me an example? And it, it sounds like it's someone that wants to be an auctioneer. So who is the person that's going through your learning experience with Cornerstone? The person who's going through my experience are those uh, established, I'm going to say licensed auctioneers. I'm not going to say established. I'm going to say licensed auctioneers. Okay. And they have to take the continuing education to renew their license. And it's state law and they have to do it. They, they have no choice, but they have to do it. And it looks like um, you operate in more than one state as well. Yes, yes. There are 13 states that require continuing education. Some of the other states like Florida and California, 
require a bond that you have to uh, you have to obtain a bond. I did an auction in uh, California one time. I had to get a fifty. I think it was a fifty thousand dollar bond, if I remember correctly, and um, just to indemnify. And um, but uh, the other states say say no. But auctioneers in other states, I have my classes available with them for them. Uh, because they just want to pick up some uh, some new information to help uh, help them with their business. So prior to someone um, taking a course or a proctored examination with you, how do you think about content creation? You, you started to talk about the equipment that you have. So w- what is in your mind as you create that? Well, the the content creation, for example, I just wrote a class on dealing with difficult people. In the auction business. <laughs> I, I love it. If you could uh, Easy, share Mike. that with the world, maybe <laughs> in the auction world, especially when it comes to uh, estate auctions, in general, this is an in general comment. People think that just because it's old, it's worth something. Not necessarily. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate that your grand, grand aunt on your mother's side, who came from um, Krakow, Poland, back in 1860, brought this with her, but there's really no marketplace for it. And uh, just because it's old and your aunt brought it over on a ship does not make it valuable only to you. So maybe you should keep it and uh, tell the story to some of the young people in your family and they would treasure it as much as you do. But Mike here at Proctor Free is probably not going to be interested in it. <laughs> That's just the way. <laughs> so, so if you're an auctioneer, there's not just getting up and marketing a product. You might actually have to have a conversation with an owner of, a, of an item, whether that's a painting or an MRI machine, and, and get them to maybe detach themselves from the value that they have uh, associated. Uh, yeah, in their hospital business, they there there doesn't seem to be the emotional attachment as uh, someone within an estate sale. You know, and and then everyone thinks that their their items are worth more than they really are. I mean, that's just life. So what is um now now I'm 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 just so intrigued by this. What is like the largest and the smallest thing you've ever auctioned? Um, I mean, you talked about having like physical generators, and I'm I'm picturing a flatbed truck and moving all around the you know the North America. But like, what are some of the larger and smaller items you might have auctioned? Thinking about that, those generators were pretty big. There were two of them. <laughs> Um, yeah, good question. I'm going to go, I'm going to say probably those generators. I remember picking up, uh, MRIs from hospitals because they were getting new ones that were brought in because the new ones have more whistles and bells and flashing lights. Uh, and maybe they do a little bit more to make an accurate diagnosis, but for that small hospital out in uh, rural USA that does not have the millions of dollars for an MRI. This one is going to give them, uh, put them leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else in the area. The smallest thing I've sold is a scalpel. That's pretty <laughs> That's small. Pretty small. Uh, I remember <laughs> I walked into a warehouse in uh, Indianapolis. You want to hear more story? This is a war story. So here's how it works. I walked into this warehouse and about 20 feet long, and about 20 feet high were cardboard boxes filled with surgical instruments. And I'm just looking at them in the middle with my mouth open. And I said, where, where did you get all these? And he said, well, we've been collecting them for years. and We just don't know what to do with them. Can you get rid of them? I said, oh, God, they're going to be sold in a heartbeat. And I, I said, 
how did you obtain all of these instruments? Well, we've been collecting them for years. I said, okay, well, what happens? This is, this is what he told me. He said, so Dr. Mike, it's on staff and you're a surgeon and you want the ABC company scalpels and surgical instruments. And then, you know, Dr. Jim comes along and says, no, I don't like those. I want these. So they buy those for Dr. Jim. And over the years, it just kept accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. Wow. And uh, there was an ambulance one time. That, that was the same place in Indianapolis. There was an ambulance, an EMT truck. In Boston, there was a, a security vehicle. It was a Ford. And it had a, a meter on it that would tell you how many hours it had run. Wow. That's unique. Yeah. I, they would change the oil based on the hours. I, interesting, interesting. They would tell me things, and I just go, "Okay, fine." <laughs> um, so, when someone's interacting with your course content, suppose they take a proctored examination. What happens afterwards? Like, what does the post-test data or reporting look like? Do you have to go back to the state and tell them? Yes. Okay. So, how does that work? Can you walk us through that? For example, here uh, in Illinois and in, in Kentucky, Illinois, I go, uh, I have access to uh, a web page. And I, I go in and uh, enter their completion in the web, on the web page that they have uh, passed the exam and uh, the date they passed the exam. And then my responsibility then is to provide the client with uh, a certificate of completion. That's a, it's a state form that they gave me and give me and I just fill it out and email it to them. You just answered my next question because I was going to say, what, is, what do they get back? Is there a badge or a credential? So it's their certificate? they get a certificate of completion. Uh, each state is a little different. So let's talk about Kentucky then. In Kentucky, my responsibility is to put together an Excel spreadsheet and the Excel spreadsheet then goes to the Kentucky Board of Auctioneers. And I put on there that uh, uh, Mike has completed his uh, six hours of continuing education. I put uh, down your name, your city address, your zip code, your email address, phone number, your license number, and the class that you took, and how many hours it was. Now, the way it's set up for, for Kentucky is that through Digital Chalk, they uh, print out a certificate of completion. And so they have a physical piece of paper. I have a copy. Actually, I have two copies. One on the computer. I make a hard copy for myself just because. And then one goes to the state. So no one in my 11 years, almost 11 years of doing this, I've only had one, one phone call uh, asking me about someone. I said, just give me a second here. And, and literally in 60 seconds, I had the information for them. And it was in an email off to the board. They said, how do you do that? And I said, it's my job. Yeah, your system pays off. It's good when it's right. Hard. So how do you how do you keep up with the differences between the different states? Do you just you're so familiar with it and there's not that much variation or do you have to track it somewhere? The only difference is each state has a, um, a date by which the, the uh, auctioneers have to complete their CE. For Illinois, it's every two years. They have to have their CE completed on, uh, by, Jan or by December 31st every other year. Kentucky, it's May 31st. Arkansas, it's June 30th. So everyone's a little different. One state says you have to have your CE done based on the date that you obtained your license for the first time. So that one runs constantly, 12 months a year. 
So everyone's a little bit different. And, um, you know, I, it's my responsibility to make sure that I keep up with all of that. And then I have to, uh, as, a, as a business, fill out forms yearly, every other year, for states to keep my school approved. Mm-hmm. And uh, they want, you know, sometimes they want to know, I put together a syllabus of the class, what the class is going, what is the purpose of my class, what, I'm, what am I trying to impart in the class. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I, have, I come up with the ideas for the class on my own. Interesting. Except there's one state that one state that gives me this is the class, this is the way we want it presented, and I said so. There's no, I don't have any editorial uh, leeway. They said this is the way we want it, <laughs> and and that's okay. And it works. It works for them. <laughs> um, it has helped them out and helped the uh, help them as I'm saying the auctioneers out. But otherwise. You know, I get I get phone calls going, you know, how did you come up with this idea, like dealing with difficult people? I said, well, in the auction business, you've never had to deal with difficult people. I have people just laughing out loud on the phone going, oh, no, I've never had that problem. <laughs> you know, uh, I wrote a class on communication skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a Churchill fan, by the way, as I start this little. <laughs> and I, I said. I said, you know, we, we have to be tactful when we when we're dealing with people who say, you know, well, it has to be it has to be worth more than that. And I said, you know, Winston Churchill once was asked about what's your definition of tact, and his response was, well, my definition of tact is this: it's the ability to tell someone to go to hell in such a way that they look forward to the trip. <laughs> That's great. I have had more phone calls on that quote. That's funny. <laughs> going, That's great, Jim. What a great quote. I said, well. It's yeah. Churchill. I wish I came up with it, but it was Churchill. So as, as we think about learner success. The success. It was a huge success. We did it! Victory! Success. He smells like success. Do you have auctioneers that come back to you for advice a- after the course? Because it sounds like you're providing one state aside, not like a cookie cutter experience where it really has your fingerprint on the, the content. I have phone calls almost daily from someone who has a question about, do you think this is ethical? They just want to bounce ideas off of me. And um, I enjoy those. I, I appreciate the fact that they they hold me in such esteem. And I try to be as tactful and as level as I possibly can. And there are times when I can't answer the question and I don't make up an answer. I, uh, I'm one of those that would make a good witness on the in court. Because if I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know, but let me, let me make a couple of phone calls. Maybe I can get you an answer. Yeah. So as, as I think about why this experience matters, I mean, that, that's an example to me if someone goes through the experience and not only are they um, in good graces with the state, but they think to come back and even ask that question, what could be an example of something that would be unethical as an auctioneer? One just came up yesterday. There are some companies floating around and, um, so you'll get a phone call, Mike, and they know you're an auctioneer. They they can go to the state and find out that Mike is uh, is an auctioneer, and they need an auctioneer for their um, for their sale. And uh, because you're licensed in a particular state, they're going to contact you. So you go to the auction, and uh, you show up at the appointed time, and they've agreed to pay you X amount of money for your services. And then you find out that uh, they won't let you call the auction. 
They will not allow you to get get up there and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a thus and so we're going to start the bidding at $10,000. That's unethical. Mm-hmm. And it's putting you, Mike, in jeopardy. So the ethics of it is they have lied to you. They just want to use you as in your license. Got it. Got it. Okay. And if something if something went sideways, they take off and Mike's left holding the bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had more phone calls on that in the past two years than I, I want to remember. Wow. So it sounds like there's definitely, you need to be able to think critically and fast um, and that conflict or tension could arise at any time, whether it's for a situation like that or um, someone just having a disagreement about value. Wow. And the other, there's some, another ethic. We, we as an auctioneer, we're, there's this thing called chandelier bidding. I've never heard of that. That's a term you maybe, maybe not have. That's where the auctioneer is up there and he's trying to run up the bids. Have you ever heard that term? Run up the bid? Mm-hmm. So he's up there crying the auction and his hand will go up in the air like he has a bid, but it's the chandelier that's bidding. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to, to, uh, <laughs> get it get it going um totally illegal and if he's caught he can lose his license uh he can probably be sued it would it would just get ugly another breach of ethics is to have a shill in the audience Uh, a shill would be someone you know who you got two of them well this person over here is bidding and that person over there is bidding just to get the crowd going Uh and uh you know i have been an auctioneer where i've just said look I'd like to bid on this. It was, I'll tell you, it was a house, the use of a house on the west coast of Ireland. Wow. For a, a, well, it was 10 days, and there were two golf courses. I was in. <laughs> there you go. I was in. Okay. <laughs> I said, look, I would like to know if anyone would object, tell me now because I would like to bid on this. Anyone object to my bidding on this? They said, someone yelled out, what are you going to bid? I said, I'm starting it at $5,000. That's what it's worth to me. Wow. I said, I have a limit just like everyone else. It went to twelve five. I said, well, I am out. <laughs> I said, I can't do that. I didn't even think that, yeah, I mean, now that you described that scenario, you can literally bet on the use of a, of a house on the coast of Ireland um, adjacent to a couple of golf courses. I bet that that was unique for them to see you kind of break that fourth wall, but still maintain your your composure. Right. I've taken trips to um, France in Italy based on by attending an auction, and these items were placed up there. And uh, I knew the auctioneer, but he didn't know I was going to bid on them because I didn't tell him because <laughs> I, I just didn't want someone to think we were in you know collusion. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, I came home and I said to Lisa, I said, uh, um, I won the use of a house in Italy outside of Rafino, about 15 miles northeast of uh, Florence. I said, do you want to go? She goes, what? I said, tell me now. Do you want to go? If not, I've got to make some phone calls, see if I can get a date. <laughs> she sat up in bed and said, you better make that to me. <laughs> and uh, uh, the funny. other one was... Um, a house in France, about uh, 20 miles due east of Avion, and uh, it was my first trip to France. And off we went, and I uh, rented a car and found the place and uh, had an in-ground pool, and it was wonderful. And <laughs> we took day trips all over the place. 
you're, you're giving me the travel bug. So literally from being an auctioneer, you've gotten a chance to travel around the world. Love that. So occasionally I remember like seeing auctions in the past. Um, maybe like it's a, it's a car show and there's so many people in the room. How do you even keep up with where bids are coming from? Is there a system where like when you look out on a crowd, how do you know other than seeing someone? Let's talk about Barrett Jackson. Uh, Barrett Jackson is a big car auction every January. They're out in Scottsdale. They're in Vegas. They're down in Palm Beach. What the auctioneer has, uh, they're called ringmen. And these fellows are men and ladies are out in the audience and uh, they'll have a towel that they wave around. And their job is to, if I'm the ringman, and I've been the ringman for for auctions for real estate, so I'm that Mike uh, raises his hand on a certain bid, and I'll and I'll yell out, I'll say yep, and I get the attention of the auctioneer, and I'll stay with you as long as you want to stay in. Then if you say I'm done, you just this is the uh, movement, I'm out of here, I'm done. Thank you, Mike, and I look for somebody else. So it's up to the ringman. Actually, being a ringman is more fun than being an auctioneer. <laughs> it, it, it really is. I, I just enjoy it. And who, and who retains the ringman? Is it the auction itself? The auctioneer will bring in his own ringman for the most part. Okay. Um, he'll pay them. Or the ringman may be part of, uh, in, in the real estate world, is another auctioneer. Got it. And uh, so, yeah, being a ringman is, is, I think, more fun than being an auctioneer. Interesting. Um, so as we think about the future of learning. I see the future. Is this what the future holds? That's the future. Fascinating modern age we live in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. I think of an auction in person. And then you've, you've clearly um, developed a, a, an online school for continuing education. Are auctions done online at all or will they be in the future? Up until last year, let's uh, let's go to the middle of March when the country was shut down. The uh, auction business was moving towards having more online auctions. And as an auctioneer, you're a small businessman. You have less overhead for the most part, depending on exactly what you're doing. And then all of a sudden, now everything has to be online. So there are more auctions online. I follow too myself. I look. There's a couple of things that I like like to buy online that I I follow, and I prefer online rather than going there because I can watch an auction that's taking place in California or in New York City or Miami and Mount Sterling, Illinois. I mean, I can watch an auction anywhere around the world and bid on something that I might be interested in, and I don't physically have to go there. And so the future. Is going. This is my opinion. The future is going to be. There's going to be more online auctions, and I think the live auctions. There'll still be live state auctions, the large equipment auctions, and uh, uh, benefit auctions. You know, like for uh, nonprofits, will have the big galas, and uh, a thousand people will be in the audience. That's where you can pick up the uh, the trips, Mike, <laughs> if you're interested in a trip. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the benefits, the benefit auctions, the, the charitable ones. Okay, yeah, I'm eager to get, get some, uh, get the travel bug uh, taken care of again, especially after talking to you. Today. Sure, and and you're supporting a good cause then at the same time. Okay, and is there any um, new technology or, or technology that you've implemented that's either changed your business or will help the auction industry in general? The biggest 
change in my little business, since I'm in a real niche market, has been, frankly, Mike, it's been working with you and your company. And uh, I cannot say enough things, of nice things about you and Mr. Uh, Mr. Turley. Yep, Harrison. He's our, he's our rock star. I have his name on the back of a business card with his phone number, and I'm looking at it right now. Harrison's a, a true force multiplier. He's, uh, he, he can wear many hats. Force multiplier. That's a very good term for him. I'm going to use that with him. What's unique about what has been a big change for me in the past well, now over a year, about a year and a half since you and I first started talking, is that here's the feedback I've received. They like your system over Brand X. And I had one guy today, or last week from South Carolina, said, hey, I like that new system you have, Jim. And he goes, I said, well, that's because you have a comparison to the old system. He goes, well, I'm not going to tell you what he said, Mike. But he said, what, what I he said, what I liked is is this. He goes, I can take my exam immediately. I have immediate results. It's all online. I don't have time to make an appointment. I don't have to make an appointment. And he goes, I can get it done. The material is fresh in my mind and get it done and move on with the next part of my day. I'm very happy with you guys. In my world, you have just changed the market completely with uh, artificial intelligence. And when I've explained it to people, I said, you can run, but you can't hide. You've taken out the, the human element in my mind that uh, caused problems. And uh, it's either black or white. It's, it's one or two, or is it one and zero? Is that what? And, and so, you know, you've got a big cheerleader here. You know, I don't have pom-poms, Mike, but uh, I, will, I tell anyone and everyone that uh, your company has uh, changed my business. It has decreased. I've never had a phone call from anyone saying they're having a problem with Proctor Free. I mean, that that's, that's, I'll put my hand on a Bible. That has not occurred. Well, what, you're very kind, and um, being able to hear that type of feedback makes makes it worthwhile. Um, we want to have positive impacts on, on people's businesses and, and their ops, so that's great. Thank you. I'm going to talk just a, a couple quick hit random questions. Gotta go fast, gotta go fast, gotta go fast, gotta go fast. And some of these may, may jog your, your memory. Who is your favorite teacher? I saw that question, and my favorite teacher, I, why do you remember the ones you didn't like? <laughs> I, I remember some of the ones I liked. <laughs> there was a marketing instructor at Southern Illinois University that I got along with very well. Got me more interested in sales and marketing. He was uh, he was good. He was good. In fact, I still quote him. Was it Maslow hierarchy of needs? Remember that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just talking about that the past few months. So I re I remember that fellow. Oh yeah. I remember a history instructor back in high school that uh, got me interested in uh, learning more about the history of, of the world. And uh, that was always intriguing. Especially when you're, when you're traveling overseas and, and some of these trips. That you've well, yeah, you know, he had traveled uh, all through Europe and the Middle East when uh, there weren't too many people traveling at that time. And uh, he just got me interested in reading about those things. And I remember... Uh, Hearing about Neanderthal, I was in the been in a Neanderthal cave in the south of France, and it just helps. I remember that guy. I remember that guy. He always wore saddle shoes too. I remember, and I think the third the third one was another history teacher. 
he had lost an arm in World War II, and he had an artificial arm, and um, he was quite an inspiration. He had overcome uh, his uh, wartime injury, and um, he, in my mind, he instilled a lot of um, confidence in people. I was, I think, a freshman or sophomore at the time, that people perhaps didn't have very much self-esteem, and he helped put some self-esteem in people, make them do some critical thinking at a very young age. That is wonderful to hear. This next one was challenging for me to answer the first time I answered it. What is the first thing you remember learning about? First thing? Oh my, that'd be first kindergarten, first grade, Sister Kenneth, parochial school. (laughs) I think the first thing I learned, because the first five years of my formal education were were in parochial schools, was that uh, behave. Just how to behave. But you seem to have a bit of a mischief about you. If you went to parochial school, you have to have some mischief. I mean, mean, (laughs) um, whenever I've done a benefit auction, I do some lunch and learns downtown Chicago, talk about uh, retirement. And uh, I can always say, I can look around the room and say, well, I know who went to parochial school. And they say, why is that? Because your feet are flat on the floor and your hands are folded in front of you. And I said, and the rest of you, you're probably all Lutherans. You're just Catholics without the guilt. And uh, that's a good icebreaker. It is. It it does. It it breaks things up. And uh, I think just learning how to act in society, how to treat your fellow man. I think that's the first thing I learned that uh, being a bully doesn't work. Get along with people. Help people out be firm in your in your decisions but have that firmness based on fact not because you want it to be so once again perhaps early critical thinking is the first thing i learned what is something new that you have learned recently proctor free is available <laughs> hmm, i'm gonna have to think about that one a while That's okay. I, I saw that and you know i uh i read people ask me what do you do all day i, I read they said what do you read i said everything everything. And um, I've been reading a lot of pundits on economic theory with uh, the gas shortage and all of that. So I've been reading more economic things of late, been reading a lot of uh, retirement articles of late because my Lisa is pulling the pin and retiring on August 11th, much to my consternation. But that's... Congratulations. uh, Well, to her, you don't strike me as someone that's going to um, not be running a school anytime soon. Oh, I have a story on that one. But anyway, (laughs) but she's, uh, because we've been together a long time, she said, you know, I want to start doing some speaking. And I said, about what? And she said, "Uh, I want to start talking about, to seniors, about internet safety. Now, she she runs uh, a large organization for an insurance company, uh, she has people in India, Northern Ireland, and here that uh, report to her. And the seniors with internet safety getting caught in phishing scams. And, you know, we all get those emails. Uh, they're all showing up on our phones. And people just don't get it. And uh, that, that's an interesting and helpful opportunity. I mean, just can't turn someone into a digital native that isn't going to be, but. That's, that's a great point. There's so many um, opportunists and fishing artists out there. Um, wow, that's unique. Yeah, about 20 minutes before you and I started talking, I had a new client uh, sign up and he called me and I said, uh, 
He said, uh, password? I said, yeah. He says, well, what should I use? I said, use a capital letters, some symbols, use a phrase that's only only that only you would know or, or care about. And he goes, well, how many letters do you have? I said, well, right now I'm running at 17. And he goes, you're kidding. I said, oh, no, I've got to change it, too, because it's six months. I said, I change it every six months. Security is not easy, but it's important. Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the things that I that's going on in, in my world right now that I've, I've been learning about. Tell us about the most bizarre thing that has happened to you, either in this role or just as an auctioneer in general. When I was out calling on hospitals, the perception was, and still is, some hospitals should just give away this equipment that has outlived its usefulness and because we're a nonprofit. And I would always have to stop and say, wait a minute, you have to make a profit in order to be a nonprofit. If you just give it all away, you, you want to be paid? <laughs> you have to make a profit. And I said, it's a nonprofit has to be profitable or you're out of business. Well, no. I said, well, then how are you going to survive? I remember having a discussion with a group of nurses one time and going, you want to raise next year? Yeah. Well, then the hospital has to make a profit. I'm just telling you that and you can't give away your services. I said, uh, so I said, if you go to a gas station and say, well, I'm a nurse and I work for a nonprofit, I'm just using nurses. It could be anybody. Should they just give you the gas for free? It just doesn't work that way. So that was, uh, that's one of the things I think that's the best way I can answer your question. That's helpful. And what is something you think people should know about auctioneering? The thing they should know about auctioneering is, in my opinion, is know what you're bidding on and don't get caught up in the theater of the auction. You know, it's kind of like gambling in some ways. You know, you have to know how much you're willing to spend and how much you're willing to, to lose and how bad do you want it. Is it going to make a difference in your life? You know, is it going to make you feel good or is it going to uh, help you perhaps uh, increase your net worth or in something for your business? Know what you're buying. You know, if uh, like in a, uh, the, the classic car auctions, I'm a car guy. You don't buy a car to make money. You buy a car because when you were historically, they, they did some studies on this, Mike, with the car that turned you on when you were 12 years old, 12 to 14, is the car that you want when you're an adult. By golly, in my, in my case, that is the case. So uh, it took me till I was 50 to get it, but I got it. <laughs> and if someone is attending an auction, are there any strategies that the common person could employ to, to win um, something that they're after or they're bidding on? Some people, if you're bidding against someone, the other person may try to intimidate you not to bid anymore. You just have to be true to your your wallet and how much you're willing to spend and how much is it really worth to you. When I've attended auctions where I've I've started the auction, the auctioneer will say, you know, 50. I'll just say, I'll bid 20. And he goes, okay, I'll give 20 to get it going. And it may go back up to 50, but that's okay. That's all right. I had to give it a shot. I had to try. But if other people see the value of the, that item, you know, it's going to go back up to 50 or it could get go more. It's fun. It really is. I enjoy it. I just have fun. It, it put, always puts a smile on my face. It, it seems exciting. I want to attend an auction now. Um, I've, I've never actually been to one, but from outsider's perspective, it just seems like there's energy and excitement. So, James, if someone wanted to find you or your school, how could they do that? Sure. The uh, web address is uh, cornerstone dash edu.com. My toll-free number is 
3450. My last name is Drury, D-R-U-R-Y. And um, if I could help anybody out, Mike, just please give me a call. I'll be more than happy to spend some time with you. This has been another episode of Incredible Learning Experiences with your host, Mike Murphy. And today we talked with James Drury from Cornerstone EDU. James, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you for having me, Mike. Incredible Learning Experiences is brought to you by your friends at Proctor Free, an on-demand, convenient, and cost-effective online proctoring solution for education and corporate environments. Elevate your credibility and reputation while providing convenient learning opportunities for your target audience. Learn more at proctorfree.com.